Clear Channel's iHeartRadio. Welcome to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show. Better than before. An hour of beauty, health, fitness, and lifestyle advice from renowned columnist and author Jane Wilkins Michael and her guest, top experts in their fields. Join Jane's campaign to become better than before. Now, here she is, Jane Wilkins Michael. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show, Better Than Before, on iHeartRadio Talk. I'm Jane. I'm coming to you live from New York City. I want to thank you so much for being with us. And now, I am delighted to bring on, as always, the person who makes me happier than a pumpkin latte at this time of year, my producer, Lori Houston. You know, I don't know how that's possible. It is. It is. I don't know how either, but you do. (laughs) You do. Happier. Pumpkin tea is my favorite. Nothing makes me happier than a pumpkin latte, except you. (laughs) So, oh, listen to this. Good news, bad news. I just read this before we came on the air. We just missed the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. Oh, that is yeah, I know. But, you know, it's the most grueling athletic competition in the world. It's a 2.4-mile ocean swim followed by a 112-mile bike ride and then a marathon race, 26.2 miles. But the good news, Lori, is that it gives us another year to train. Yeah. There you go. And now that I've done one spin class, a 112-mile bike ride is the obvious next challenge. Obvious, (laughs) There you go. So be prepared. So now switching gears here, how do you like that transition? We have a great show today. After the break, we're going to meet Rob Kofelt. And now you know how much I love cheese, Lori, right? I do. I love it. I love it. Cheese goes with everything. And as much as nutritionists have been trying to get me off dairy for years, it won't work. I am what they call an utter failure. There you go. Rob is the CEO of Murray's Cheeses, which is the number one purveyor of fine cheeses in the country. And I can't wait to talk to him. And, of course, have your goat cheese ready as we will eat as we interview. But first, even cheese won't pick up your mood if you're having a bad hair day. So I would like you all to meet Ricky Panisi, who is a renowned stylist, educator, and founder of RICI Hair Care which is an extremely popular custom line that focuses on curly and wavy hair. And he also owns a very edgy salon here on the East Coast. But whether you have curly, straight, or wavy hair, Ricky is here to help us have the best hair days ever. Welcome to the show, Ricky. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. You know, we love innovators on this show. Uh, So before we get into all caring for all types of hair... You saw a need in the market for curly hair in particular, and therefore you developed your line and a special haircut for that particular hair type. And I have to tell you, Ricky, from personal experience, I have kind of fine hair and it's wavy. And I had a haircut recently, and the stylist cut bangs that were fine, and they looked great, you know, when it was all blown out. But left to my own devices, uh, I look like Mo from the Three Stooges. Seriously, they jumped up. What can I tell you? So, and and I'm actually related to him, but that's a whole different show. But tell us, how is curly hair different than every other hair type? Um, And and why did you focus on this particular type, which has actually given you the name King of Curly Hair? Um, What got me so into curls was the fact that every leader in the industry avoided curls at all costs. Because, you know, you could go to the top shows, and I've watched the top stylists, avoid curls because they have a mind of their own and they don't really care who you are and what your background is. And if you're not 
respecting them the way they need to be respected, they will pop up on you, and your beautiful bang that you walked out of the salon with will make you look like a lamping stock. So I get where you're coming from. So I, I actually more got my, my cliched with pearls was more as a quest to figure out how to deal with them. And then later on, it morphed into realizing that we really had no idea of what we were doing with them. And, and there was really no true expertise in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in our field. And that, that's what really drove me to it. And then that led later on into coming up with a line that was going to meet every curly hair need. And because, you, you know, you made a great point. You have fine wavy hair. That is a very deadly combination right there because fine hair, if it's not, if the products aren't right, it's going to dry it out and you're not going to get the right curls. And if you use too heavy a product, it's going to flatten out and then you're going to look like Mo from Three Stooges. So either right. way, you have to respect what you're doing. And there was nothing ever out there that could do all those different things. So we can't, I, you know, we like to, at least me, myself, and I, I use all my personalities to come up with this. Um, I came up with a, with a line that was going to meet all these needs, but we we're going to do it in a small little package. So if it's five to six products, we can meet all your curly hair needs. But you're also, I mean, you're an expert on all kinds of hair, correct? I mean, this is your whole. I, I, you know, I am, and I, and I love all kinds of. I love all kinds of hair. I do a lot of. Uh, I do a lot of straight hair. I do a lot of dry cutting. I, I really do love all parts of the industry, and as corny as it sounds, I. I I mean, I love what I do, and it's, it's really not like being at work. Um, curly hair just happens to be, and now, now, now it's just falling the category of all the other ones with me. Where before it was more of a fear to work on curly hair, um, now it's, it's it's the same passion and excitement that I get with all my other, all the other curly types that come into the salon. Yeah, and and actually, what you mentioned something about having a dry haircut, I like that because I tend to. I'm again speaking with personal experience. When you get when your hair is wet, it kind of jumps up. It's not always the same as when it's dry. And some stylists, you'll walk in and immediately get your hair washed, so they don't even know what kind of hair you have, and then they'll cut you sort of this cut that they think is is good for your face, whatever it is. We'll, we'll get into that more a little bit later. But, and then when you walk out again, it looks great when you're leaving the salon because you're having it professionally blown out and what hair doesn't look better like that. And then when you do it yourself, again, we're back to Mo. West straight well, I'll tell you what, this, that, that's like such a great valid point. And I think it's funny because I started cutting hair in, in the early nineties and, um, Back then, it was really no dry cutting. It was just wet, all right? You, know, you got canned food. And, and the stylists didn't even care what you looked like when you walked in because they knew they were going to cut you wet and they were going to use all the brushes they had and any kind of styling product they could to get you out. And you left. It would be great. And I think there's a movement now, and you'll, you'll see there's a divide between, you know, great stylists and great salons and, and the, the, the fly-by-night shops. And what we try to train in my, in my staff, and, and actually we, we make it a, a, a major point, is we dry the hair in a way that it's closest to the way the hair will dry naturally for the client, and we cut based on that. So when you have that kind of a foundation, even if you're the worst at styling your own hair, because the, 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 the foundation of the cut is that solid and really works that well, and now you're using balance points and you're taking out weight where there's there shouldn't be and you're creating movement where there needs to be, the hair is going to 99% of the time fall better even if you're, 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 you're horrible at styling your own hair. 
See, that's that's good. I mean, I think I have a little like an anteater cut, chop off my ends and then bite off my ends every couple of weeks. <laughs> I just I never have time to go get a, a cut. But when I do, you know, it obviously looks better. But you're right. I mean, you really have to go to a salon that can look at your hair and they can say, look, you, you know, it's not only your face, it's your hair uh, type that they have to work with. Right, I mean, it's 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 more than just. Oh, yeah, well, it's, got, I mean, it's got it's got to match every aspect of you physically and 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 how your lifestyle works. That so that the cut works all the time. Right. And also, you know, I tell this to people, people get stressed about the weather and about stuff they can do absolutely nothing about. And, you know, once you've had your hair cut, you really can't at that point. But hair grows. So there's nothing to get really stressed about. Eventually, it will grow. It might take two years to get your hair back, but it will grow. Um, so how do you correct a bad haircut, let's say? Or don't you? Well, you just you let know, it grow. Well, no. So what we like, you know, what I tend to do is find out where the problem is. And usually what it Usually what happens is 90% of the time, especially your hair is a perfect example based on it being finer and wavy. So a lot of times what hairstylists will do is they'll overcut. So what we have to do is kind of blend in the overcut areas to the undercut areas and find some kind of balance between the two. It might always not be the prettiest thing right away, but it's going to grow into it and we have to change the shape. Usually the biggest challenge is a client will come in and say, I, I just have the worst haircut, and I don't want to cut any length at all. So once that happens, you're kind of left to just be very creative, and this is where the dry cutting comes into place, and this is where knowing balance and head shape and, and different facial features, focusing on them, really become, um, you know, a, an integral part of the cut. And that's where a really bad haircut can turn into a not-so-bad haircut, and it winds up growing into a fantastic haircut. Right, you give it time. Now, this I was going to ask you this a little bit later, but now we're talking about haircuts. How do you, um, how do you know the the right haircut? Would you look at a, a picture of the magazine? A lot of people, I'm sure, bring in celebrities. You have actually uh, done the hair of celebrities, but um, how do you know what's good for your face? Do you trust the, the the salon person, or do you actually bring a picture and say, "Look, I like this cut. Does this look good on me? Or is my hair able to sustain this kind of haircut?" Um, I, I personally love when, when clients bring in uh, hairstyles. It gives me an idea of where their head is. And the funniest thing is, and this is what we get the most, is somebody will bring in a, a picture of somebody with a pixie cut, and they say, I want this, but I want it longer. And, you know, once you grow past a certain point, it's no longer the same style. So I try to find out from the client what they absolutely hate about the cuts. We avoid them, and then somewhere in the middle I find out what works for them and then, you know, a big, big part of the the, the, uh, the process of me getting to know them and what they want is, do they like to hear them pull their hair back? Are they very active? Is it more of a, you know, a style that they need for work? Once we are able to determine where they, it falls in their, as far as their lifestyle goes, then I can make it work with them as far as head shape goes, lifestyle, and, and texture of hair. Right. I did not bring a picture in of the Three Stooges for these bangs, just so you know. <laughs> that was well, that all was, up that to the stylist. Special, <laughs> that was in a special gift you got. That was in the special, yeah, that was in the special gift. So now I know you have your line of products, and they're wonderful products that are sold in online, of course, in in the in the salons across the country. But you know, for for um, for for women in general, men too. 
like cosmetics, there's so many hair products out there and there's so many different ones. There's shampoos and conditioners and styling gels and serums. And I mean, it's so confusing. How do you find the products that are good for your hair and all of this mix? That's a great question. And, and you know, I, I think uh, the, one of the things that we all do is usually, I tell my clients all the time, Find the client, that, find somebody that you've seen that you like their hair and ask them where they get it done. When they're moving out of town or they're going on business trips, that's where you want to go. You want to stick with people that kind of have what you have and what's working for them. Um, after that, just it's trial and error. And I think you really need to, if you go to a good enough salon that's really going to be on top of their product knowledge and making sure they're ahead of the curve as far as what's coming out or what's new and what's not working, then they're always going to lead you in the right direction. Because ultimately, whatever we do in the salon, and, and a, true, a truly great stylist is going to know that, they can do the best haircut on you and they can use the best products. But if you're walking around looking like you've been mugged, it's not going to work out. So you want your client to work around looking great. So they're going to recommend the best products for you and the way to duplicate as best you can outside the salon as well as in. Right. And they're also today, they, they seem, uh, the shampoos say they're organic or they're sulfate free or paraffin, uh, paraben free. Is that, do you recommend that we should look for products that don't have these chemicals in them? I, yeah, I do. I, I, I really strongly believe that um, sulfate free and paraben free are, are the way to go. What it's going to do is it's going to help uh, maintain the moisture level in your hair. Ultimately, as long as your hair is not super, super greasy, what most people are fighting with is their hair gets too dry. Once it gets too dry, you really have no control over it. It's going to frizz all the time. It's going to be very unruly, and it's going to give you um, – it's not going to last as long as it really should from day to day. So if you can keep the moisture level at a, at a, at a decent, consistent level, then uh, you're going to have the best results with your hair all the time, most of the time. Right. Now, that being said, do you recommend shampooing every day, every other day? I mean, there are all different theories on that. Well, again, I, the best thing to do in, in a perfect world um, is to not shampoo every day. But if you have to, you have to find a really moisturizing shampoo, one that's going to give you that maintenance to, to make sure that your hair stays in, in, a, in a great state and there's enough moisture in it. And now, I think more than ever, we have more options like that on, on the market than ever before, which is great. Yeah, even if we go into the chain pharmacies like CVS or Rite Aid around here, then, you know, there there's shelves and shelves and shelves of shampoos. So I think what I suggest, um, and, and let me know if you agree, like food uh, shopping, you know, you look at the ingredient list, you look at the label and you right. see what's in it. And many times, even when they say it's green organic and, you know, they have like a, a mint sprig in the 800th um, ingredient down on the bottom of the list. So, but basically everything else is chemical. So I think you have to be aware of what's in the product as well. Yeah, no, I think I, that's that's so true because what happens is the criteria to be, to stamp on your bottle, say it's organic, is very low. So you're right. It's got to make sure that the first 10 ingredients are things you can't pronounce because they're probably going to dry you out and rip all your color out. Yeah. So move on to, if you would, to conditioner. I was reading a little about you to prepare for this interview, and you said the worst thing you can do is place conditioner above your your crown line. And of course, that's where I wear my tiara for those of you who wondered. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. But and because it will lead to grease and unnecessary oil production. So how do you? I usually just condition my ends. But are you? How do you use conditioner so we don't get this um, happening to us? Well, you're ahead of the, the game because most people what they do is they usually clump a lot of conditioner in their hands. And I've seen people do this with Valley products also, and it falls for both of those. Um, and they they go right into their the, the, the front of their hair, right above their their forehead. You want to make sure that you just bring your hair into a ponytail and start from the base of your ponytail out. And that's all that really needs condition. The mid-shaft and the roots are pretty much conditioned on their own, and they don't need any help. If you tend to be frizzy, on the frizzier side, then you got to get into some maybe some deep treatments at the salon, and that'll help bring that moisture back to those areas. And do you think in, in the winter, in the fall, in the winter, when it gets colder, does your hair dry out more than your skin? I mean, as much as, you know, because your skin gets drier too. Does your hair get affected by weather change as well? Yeah, but I think it's more, I mean, the, the weather is bad, but I think what happens is when we're home and we crank the heat on, we all have like much, especially in the, in, in the Northeast, it's a lot of a drier heat now, and it, that's what's tending to dry us out the most. So that more more you have to really make sure you stay conditioned. But again, you're, you're, as your hair is growing, your natural nutrients and moisturizers are going to come out. So your roots and your midget should be fine, and it's your ends that are really going to affect the most by it. Now, years ago, there was an old wives' tale, and now, of course, I'm an old wife, so I can always I can recount this tale <laughs> that it was a hundred brush strokes a night. You, know, you should brush your hair a hundred times a day. Now, does that does that make any sense? Because it distributes the natural oils. Is that just, again, something that, you know, was for whatever reason? Well, you know, I think, well no. That, you know, if we break that down, that does have some validity to it. But it's more, when you're brushing your hair, you're closing that cuticle, and that's going to give you the shine. And you're also stimulating the roots and the scalp, which is going to get blood flow, which is going to help make your hair grow. So, I think it's a good. I think rather than that, it's a nice scalp massage, and then applying your products the right way to really close that cuticle is going to give you the same effects, and you really have to spend the hundred pressure on it. Unless you're into that, which is you know that's cool too. Yeah. Now, how about the the actual brushes themselves? Should you go for natural bristle? I have a. Um... It came with the dryer, actually. The it's kind of metal, and it's supposed to hold the heat more. Does that break your hair? Is that not good for it, or should you just go with a kind of natural bristle? Because I know nylon isn't that good for you either. What do you suggest in that area? Um, I I do lean towards natural bristle. I know that um, you know there's the new you know the new trend and the new way to go is they're even getting away from metal now. It's more of a ceramic because they say it heats up evenly. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen the the less of, the least amount of heat that we put on our hair, the better condition our hair is going to be in the long run. Um, so I, I do like a more of a, bull, a, a wooden a wooden brush with a natural core bristle. Anything over that is you, you are exposing your hair to a little bit more damage. Yeah, no, it, bet- it would be like dead. Yeah, especially as you say, in the winter it gets drier anyway. So, and and I'm thinking because you get some brushes that are all nylon, and it just seems um, that they could be damaging to your hair because the bristles are strong and they're not natural. So I don't know. That's out of the two between your hair and the bristle, your hair is going to break before the bristle will. You're 100 percent right. So you can feel the tension more with the with the nylon brush than with a natural boy hair bristle. 
Yeah. No, I meant your hair breaking, not the bruise of the breast. You can be, you can exchange, you can, that, that's fine. But your hair, when it breaks, that's a whole different thing. Now, should you brush your hair when it's wet or use that paddle brush when after you shampoo? Does that cause your hair to break too? Wet brushing? Should you comb it? What do you do after the shower? I love, I, listen, when it comes to my curly hair clients and even, even my clients that blow their hair out straight, I say to brush, to, to comb your hair with a wide tooth comb in the shower with conditioner in it. Once you rinse the conditioner out, I think you're good to go after that. From that point on, you really shouldn't uh, be brushing or combing it because you're going to be either drying it straight, so you're going to be using the brush anyway, or you're going to be wearing a curly, and if you comb it after the shower, you're going to wind up separating the curl too much, and you're going to get more frizz. And and it kind of falls true for, for drying it straight. You want it to just be brushed or combed with a wide tooth comb in the shower with conditioner, and after that, you do whatever, you style it however you need to. And and how about um, the towel dry after? When people kind of briskly towel dry it, do they uh, hurt the cuticle of the hair? Should you pat it instead of wrap it up in a turban kind of look? You know, I think what works the best is if you just kind of take the towel and lay it on the hair and then twist it around with the towel and the hair together, that's going to squeeze out all that excess. What it's also doing is when you ruffle that hair, you're actually rustling the cuticle and you're pushing it up and opening it, which is going to cause more frizz. It's going to cause less shine and it's going to it's going to dry the hair out more. You're actually when you're squeezing it and twisting it, almost in like a corkscrew kind of pattern, mm-hmm. you're you're sealing that cuticle that cuticle and pushing the moisture back into it. Oh, that's interesting. But speaking of, of hair damage and, and the, the things that would, other things that would cause damage, and if you say wearing a scrunchie, I'm sorry, but Lori will have to cut your mic. <laughs> a ponytail, right? Um, but, you know, we talked to heart dryers and curling irons and extensions. You just said the less heat, the better. Um, but what are some of the other things that cause damage that we should avoid at all costs? I think the, uh, when we, anytime we're doing anything in excess, it's going to become the issue. So, you know, where we used to just flat iron their hair once or twice a week or you just go over it two or three times, now people are going and they're flat ironing it 50 times a week. And they, every chance they get, they go and they flat iron it more and more. I've actually seen clients who've had wavy to curly hair look like they've gotten chemical straightening because they've used the flat iron so much at 500 degrees that it's stripped all the moisture out of their hair and it, their, their hair is practically straight now. So I think it's just making sure that there's some kind of a fine balance. Curling irons are great. Ceramic brushes are great. Flat irons are great. It's when we do things in excess, when we're not finding that balance. And I tell people all the time, if you're, you know, when we go from the transition, we do, clients do go from a transition of, straight in the winter to curly in the summer. And I always tell them, when you're taking that transition, give yourself a good, commit to a good two weeks of wearing it curly. That's going to get the moisture back in. That's going to get the natural oils back built up. And you're going to get more of that, that beautiful S formation of the curl. Um, and, and, and stay away from the flat iron and the blowing out. And they see a huge change in that. And you could see somebody's hair change within a week. Of, of not being, of not using the hot tools anymore. But heat and, and, and excess, in, in, in excess is actually a, a bigger problem than anything else. But what do you think of the Brazilian hair straightening? I, I kind of, I think the Brazilian. I like it because I think it gives us a lot more of, of, of an outcome that we want. So I can cocktail it too. So if I did, 
you know, your hair finer with waves, I can actually keep the waves and get rid of the frizz and just make it easier for you to blow out, or I can make you completely straight so that you don't even have to worry about blowing your hair out at all and it'll come out great. I think they took some of the chemicals out of that. Years ago, they would have that, and, they, and the, um, they'd wear, like, gas masks around, hazmat suits around the salon yeah. because it was so toxic, yeah. right? So, but now yeah, things no, are they getting... Definitely make, they, they've, made it a lot, they've made it a lot better. It's a lot healthier. Um, and it, out of all of them, I love the way the Brazilian grows out because you don't get a root. It just kind of fades out, and literally, it's like from one day to the next. You wake up, and it's gone, and it, it's great. Uh, now, is color damaging to your hair? I know highlights because they're all bleach for, for blondes. But now there's almost a, a look to not use as much of the of the, of the the bleach. And But I, I know color sometimes you, you can use to contour your face. You can almost change your face um, shape because you can have a lighter around the hairline, kind of gives your face a lift, and, and people actually um, can look better with color because it, 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 the light and the dark, the play on the face is, is really very flattering. Uh, is color damaging or is that something that it's gotten better with well, the, you know over the years? Yeah. I, I'll tell you what. Color from when, even from when I started 20 years ago to now is completely changed. It's actually more conditioning. Um, they have great additives to it to keep the, to keep the hair in an incredible shape and great shine. Even the bleach today, if you go to a top end salon that's using premium products, you could see the difference. Uh, and we actually go a step above and we add to our bleach, which a lot of salons can do. And you have to, you know, you, have, you, you can request it. There, there are a couple of products out there that are on the market that will actually, you pump it into, into the bleach and the hair comes out like you had a deep treatment and a mask. It's amazing how it works. And you get zero to no, to the little breakage from it. Now you recommend that when you do color or should they ask for it separately? We we actually just add it in our salon uh, at, at no extra charge. A lot of salons do charge extra for it. I would just mm-hmm. I would just ask them for it. You know, request them for it. So request a conditioner that you put in the color. That are there different brands well, there's, or? There's a few different companies out there that are doing it. Um, and if you request it, they can put it in. But it's it's, it's available to all stylists. We actually, like I said, we do it in all of our colors, and we see the huge change in in, in the way that. Two things, the way the color lasts and how vibrant the, the color is because now, again, you're keeping, it, the, you're keeping the cuticle closed and you're adding so much more shine that the color actually looks like it has more vibrancy, with, but it, it doesn't. It's just really a better reflection of light, and that's all shine is on the hair is a, is a good reflection of light. Do you, do you like those shiners, like the silicone that you put on after, or does that make your hair too oily? Uh, you know what? Again, those fall into the category of I want something a little bit more along the lines that's, that's more water-based. That's something that's going to kind of dissipate if you don't want it. Um, I don't like the greasy, greasy ones. No, I feel like the, what they do is they weigh the hair down. You mm-hmm. want something that's going to be light and airy, and you can feel it in your hands immediately. If you could put a product, this is a great way to test a product. You put a product in your hand, whether it's a shampoo, a gel, a uh, serum, anything. You put it in your hands, and you just, just, a, just a little dollop, and you break it through. And if you can rub it through your hands and let your hands absorb it, that's the kind of product you want to put in your hair. Because anything more than that, if you, if you can put it in your hands and you can, it'll stay there, then it's going to do the same thing in your hair. It's going to lay a coating over it. So all those silicones over time are not going to work that great. You want something that's going to kind of get absorbed into the cuticle and, and really 
Richie to air move pliable and have a lot of shine and movement to it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Now, a couple of just pre, we're almost we're we're almost unfortunately at the end of this segment. You'll have to come back and continue. There's so much about hair that we still haven't discussed. But I know, I'm so um, a lot of, I'm not getting to this. A lot of the um uh questions that I get, especially as women get older, and of course men too. I just reading a recent study that two thirds of American men will experience some degree of appreciable hair loss by thirty five, which seems young, and by the age of fifty, eighty five percent of men will have significantly thinning hair. And it might not be as dramatic as women. They don't start as young because we then get a nice big fat mustache to make up for it, as you know. Uh, but the, um, you know, but our hair in front gets thinner as we get older. Very briefly, is that you know, is there anything to do if you have that genetic kind of thinning of the hair, especially the the bangs, you know, that that front crown? Anything that we can do briefly to 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 um, make it thicker. As far as the cut goes, um, like you said earlier, if you you could actually, I played around with just doing some highlights and lowlights around the face, and that will actually contour and make it look a little bit thinner. And the the color actually plumps up the cuticle enough that it makes you look like you have more hair. Um, long bangs, a heavier bang, sometimes even a lighter bang actually works great too. If you have a lot of time as women start to thin. They become. They have like weird uh, hair patterns, so like it almost feels like it's got like a new talent that wasn't there before. If you do a lighter bang that you can kind of drag over, that masks it really well. And then there's a couple really cool vitamins on the market right now that I've seen major changes in my clients' hair when they use them, and those work really well also. What would they have in the vitamin Bs and the biotin? That kind of. You know, there, there's a there's a there's a product that we use. It's called Viviscale. Viviscal, and it is fantastic, and we've seen really great results. I have never used it, but I've seen clients that swear by it, and we actually brought it into the salon based on a client's recommendation one time, and people seem to love it. And just for to, for hair growth, correct? Your hair and nails, I guess, and, it, and for your skin, yeah, too. Yeah, right. So it's, it, exactly. So it works, it works for all three. It really makes a huge difference. Ricky, in our final moment, can you just give us, and then, of course, tell us where we can find you and your and your product. Um, just give us a tip or two that, you know, our listeners can take home with them. Um, well, I'll tell you what. For curly hair, the best tip I could give you, actually for all hair types, I, I tend to lean towards curly hair because I love it so much, is making sure that you keep your hair in a ton of moisturized shape and make sure that you are um, not drying it all the way when you're done with it, letting it dry the last 10% on its own. If it's curly, if it's if it's straight, if it's dry, make sure that if you're drying it straight, it make sure that you don't start off when it's sopping wet. It's another big mistake that women make. So you want to really just air dry it about 40% with your hands, really get the roots done, and then go to the brush at the very end and then just kind of smooth it out. That's the best way to get to get a really nice movable uh, hairstyle. It's going to give you a lot of body and shape. And keep it healthy. Exactly. It's going to keep it in the best condition. Exactly. So where can we find you and your wonderful products? Uh, the Ricci products are on Ricci.com. Uh, my salon is Atelier. It's in Basque Ridge, New Jersey. Um, and we have a whole description of all the products and all of our how-tos on there. Any questions you might have, you could, you could send us a message and we'll answer them. 
and that's it. Simple okay. as that. Thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Come back. And again, we have so much more to discuss. Um, everyone, you're, you're listening to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show on iHeartRadio Talk. Stay with us. We'll be right back with the king of cheese, the good kind of cheese. As listeners of our iHeartRadio Talk Show know, Jane Wilkins Michael is one of the foremost experts on all things health, beauty, and fitness. Jane has just released her highly anticipated new book, Long Live You a step-by-step plan to look and feel better than before. In it, she shares a collection of advice, tips, and personal antidotes, along with lifestyle suggestions from some of the world's top beauty, health, and fitness experts, many of whom have been interviewed on this show. Are you hoping to make positive health decisions, improve your emotional well-being, establish a support system, give something back to your community and the world? Jane's new book will help you look years younger and also live a longer, healthier, happier, and more beautiful life. You can order Long Live You, your step-by-step plan to look and feel better than before at your local bookstore or at Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com, where it's available for delivery or as an ebook. Or go to Jane's website, JaneWilkinsMichael.com. Now, back to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show. Want to know where you can hear Jane Wilkins Michael's show better than before? Well, that's easy. You can tune into Jane via Clear Channel's iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and at bmajor.org. Now, back to Jane Wilkins Michael and better than before. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show on iHeartRadio Talk. I'm Jane. I'm coming to you live from New York City. I'm here with Lori, as always. I want to thank you all so much for being with us. Now it is my great pleasure to welcome to the show someone whose business I cannot live without, and that would be cheese. Cheese, as far as I'm concerned, goes with everything. And as I said in my intro, it's the mantra that I meditate on every day. Not harem, the mantra which was given to me by a Maharishi, but Havarte. Now, seriously, without cheese, life is not worth living. A little dramatic, but as far as I'm concerned, very true. So I'm obviously thrilled to have on the show Rob Kofelt. He is the president and owner of Murray's Cheese, which is New York's oldest and most famous cheese shop, which, by the way, is celebrating its 75th anniversary this month. Rob, who is also a frequent writer and educator on cheese and specialty foods, was profiled in The New Yorker, and he authored the Murray's Cheese Handbook. He has been with Murray's Cheese for more than 25 years and has overseen it grow from one tiny neighborhood shop to more than 250 stores. And by the end of 2016, that number will exceed 350 across the country. And they sell, among other specialties, more more than 6 million pounds of cheese a year, and I think I've eaten about 5 million of those pounds. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for buying those 5 million pounds of cheese. I eat, um, oh. well, I'll tell you what I eat as we get a little further in the interview. Okay, so I just fine. wanted to add, Rob, that your wife, Nina Plank, is the country's leading expert on farmers' markets and real food. And um, this is just to announce that I am actually moving in with you and your family because you must have the best dinners and they probably all involve cheese. Yes, we're having dinner in a few hours. You are invited. I will let Nina know uh, that kids will be home from school in a couple of hours and we can have a fine old time to continue this conversation. Okay. Around the gin- 
dinner table I'm here there, in their next village. Wait. What do you mean a few hours? It's cheese. I'm coming over this second. As soon as this, as soon as we get oh, off the air. I saw plenty of cheese in the refrigerator. I was just oh, in there, and I said to my wife, please don't buy any more cheese. <laughs> oh my goodness, she has to, she has to buy cheese. You don't bring cheese home. My goodness, yes, it's if always were, been a policy. I was raised every uh, night. Yes, I actually pay cheese. for things. I do that. I believe in doing that. So, but Robert, we get a discount. Oh, you get a discount. All right, well that's good. Yeah. That's good. Well, so you know, I was I was reading about you, and your story is really fascinating. You, fascinating. You grew up in a grocery family, and your grandfather had a shop where you'd hang out and hear him use his motto, which is "Go on, take a taste." with every customer. I don't think anybody has ever said that about my food. They didn't want to get poisoned. But then after graduating from Cornell, you joined your family's supermarket business, but you moved to the um, village here in New York City, and you got it into your head that you were going to work in specialty foods. Now, here's the it was meant to be part. You were standing in line one day at Murray's when you heard the then owner say that he was closing the shop, and you made him an offer, and the rest is history. Um, first of all, is this story correct? And did you ever envision it to be so successful, what you bought so many years ago? Uh, the story is correct, more or less. Um, uh, I was, I was standing in line at the old shop and I did hear him say, uh, Louie, who was, uh, Murray's clerk and himself, Murray number two, I guess you'd say, which would make me, of course, Murray the third, um, then he had lost his lease and he was going back to Italy. He was an immigrant himself. And so I offered to buy the shop and yeah, the rest is, uh, is history or at least cheese history, uh, or cheese karma, if you will, if you will. Um, so yes, did I answer your question? There was another question there. Oh, did you ever envision, envision it at that point to be as successful as he was and that Americans would be so, um, cheese crazy for lack of a better word? No, that was obviously uh, a miracle that occurred and uh, for which I will be eternally grateful. You know, actually, yeah. I have a um, yeah. funny story about cheese. And we recently had Chef Iron Chef Michael Simon on the show. I'm sure you know him. And he was talking all about cheese, which is the, the, the reason I'm mentioning him. And um, years ago, my family and I used to go to a wonderful resort in Montecatini, Italy, which is right outside Florence. Uh, my parents used to take what they call the cure, which is sort of drinking these natural thermal waters for detox. Anyway, long story short, you need a doctor's prescription. And there's a wonderful resort there called Montecatini. And I never forget my mother telling this very, very renowned doctor at the hotel who's giving her her spa water prescription, the only reason I come here, doctor, is for you and the ricotta cheese. And without batting an eyelash, he replied, Thank you, Senora. I am honored to be put in such distinguished company. That's so. a very, very good story. I remember going to the spot, Montecatini, myself, and eating some very rich food at one of the stand-up cafes while the uh, orchestra was playing in the gazebo and then having some of the waters and looking around frantically. Oh, that ricotta cheese. Where I should cheese. go next. It was, it was in a cake. It was sheep cheese. Now, Lori is a sheep cheese eater. And I think you have the largest selection I have ever. I just got it. I got in my ear this largest selection that she's ever seen of sheep cheeses. So, and that's. I mean, years ago when we uh, we moved back, my husband and I, my family moved back. We lived in Paris, and I would come, and you'd have goat cheese and sheep cheese. You know, all kinds of cheese. Obviously, there it's the cheese. Um, 
capital of the world, I would say, if, if not. What is it that de Gaulle said? It's the only kind they have like 93 or 100 more cheeses. Than, yeah, 300 and something. Is 300, yeah, that's exactly. Right. Um, and when I came here, I wanted goat cheese. And people, this was in the 80s, and they looked at me like, do, do goats make cheese? I mean, they like I was crazy, you know, or sheep. Like, sheep, cheese, no. And now it's just, and even people who can't eat, like, dairy product can eat goat cheese and sheep cheese. So all kinds of, I mean, what do you think has, accounts for all this Americans cheese um this this craze that everybody just is crazy about cheese. When did this happen in the how did this evolve in your twenty five years? When did you notice that cheese was was really becoming more and more popular? Well well clearly I think that cheese became popular as part of the larger food movement that we all experience and especially in places like New York where there's, you know, always something new and and as to whether it was a fad, which means it was going to fade, or a trend, which means it would continue long term, that wasn't clear. Um, when I bought the shop, my dad, who was about to retire from the supermarket business, told me I was out of my mind because nobody ate cheese anyway, because it was filled with uh, fat or cholesterol, and that was at the height of that period. Uh, before everybody realized that, you know, if some fats were good for your diet, before steak and beef and then, of course, pork became ubiquitous and all the rest of it. So it did happen and seems to be a permanent fixture. And I think that uh, that's part of the evolutionary trend of, you know, American diets, people like yourself living abroad, Mediterranean countries in particular, um, and then wanting these things when they come back home. And so, you know, markets like mine and others here in New York, of course, filling a need. Uh, that's um, That seems to be what's happened. Of course, the cheeses themselves, many of them were around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Uh, so uh, a lot of it is rediscovery. A lot of it isn't specialty food or gourmet food, a word I hate, but really uh, traditional food or ethnic food, if you will. And we can see that happening in all kinds of other areas um, besides just uh, cheese, of course. And then there's people like you that go around telling everybody how wonderful it is, and that helps too. Yes, that is true. And this is before I even met you, so I didn't just do it because you're on the show. I, I, I was saying that Lori can, can uh, vouch for that. I've been loving cheese since... God knows when. And it's also, I mean, I don't want that low-fat stuff. I want the cheese. You know, if I'm going to eat cheese, I don't eat a lot of, like, cheddars and stuff. I, I do eat um, I do eat cheap cheese, like Lori. I eat goat cheese. Um, Parmesan. I love Parmesan. Like, Parmesan, shaved Parmesan. But that we'll talk about that next, actually. Like, olive oil. There are, like, a million and one Parmesans. Um, and ricotta cheese I love. And uh, the occasional burrata. So, yeah, now I've widened my cheese... Um, um, selections over over the years now there is parmesan like extra virgin olive oil or evoo as rachel ray says um there are lots of them they're different there's parmesan or reggiano there's parmesan that you just get it says it's you know it says it's i don't know what it is specialty and some of it is really expensive how do you know to choose a good parmesan well i think with most things you're, you're you're also trusting the purveyor since we don't know these things by brand uh, a real whale Parmigiano Reggiano. It's coming from you know that particular region. It is a controlled origin cheese that happens to be a cheese that's pretty well controlled by the producers uh, there in the Parma region. You know, for many 
hundreds of years, and there is a uh, there are numbers stamped on the outside of them, so that when people like myself, you know, uh, start to learn about these things, and obviously we were not brought up. I wasn't in a cheese culture, but had to learn about it as an American. Uh, um, later on, then uh, we find out what those numbers mean, which different farms, and then we do, we go visit them in many cases over there, and then uh, we also, you know, get into the uh, you know the uh, discussions of whether spring milk is better than uh, winter milk, which are considered perhaps better than uh, summer or fall milk for this particular cheese, and things that most people don't want to get so deep into the book into. But having done all that, we set up our supply chain, and we make sure that it's you know aged 24 months, if not longer, and we decide which farms you know have the most consistent production, or we even develop our own flavor profiles, you know, based on our own taste needs. In the case of Parmesan, it's interesting because when I bought Murray's, that was the number one seller, and even with all the changes that have taken place over the years and what's become popular or, or grown and faded in popularity, Parmigiano-Reggiano remains the number one best-selling cheese, even though it's by no means the least expensive of all the cheeses. It never yeah. was. No. Well, you're not supposed to use that much of it either. I mean, I don't. you don't use handfuls of it such as myself. <laughs> it we flavors do. everything. No, I, I, think, I think a lot of people leave the chunks out and eat it as table cheese, not just, you know, on pasta or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's good to, good to eat like that, too. And, you know, yeah. it's interesting because over the years, American cheese at one point meant, you know, um, the you know the aerosol cheese, which came with the boxed wine, you know, that kind of, it was just, it wasn't even real cheese. I don't think it still is. Um, but, it, it, again, it, it's it's grown, and the appreciation of cheese has grown over the years. But the problem is, like anything else, if you have so many choices, it can get a little confusing, and it can be intimidating. It's like choosing a, a wine. I mean, with so many selections, where do you begin to choose the, the, the right cheese? You know, we have this discussion amongst our own staff all the time. Uh, we had it just the other day. Um, we counted up about 300 cheeses, different ones, in the uh, Bleecker Street store, which is the home base flagship store, and um, and had the usual discussion: Do we have too much variety, and should we cut it down to 200 or 100 or 50 or 12, and so that everybody doesn't have so many choices and therefore such confusion. And then we decided, no, we'd continue to do it as we always had, and that was the end of the discussion for, you know, Thank for you. another year. Thank you from a consumer. <laughs> <laughs> I still have another 99 to try. <laughs> I haven't right. gone to all of the cheeses that you sell, I must say. So, I, right, I and by the time you do, there'll be a whole bunch of new ones, and I you know. Know, who knows. But, uh, you know, clearly if, if you have a local purveyor, or, you know, then you've got somebody you can talk to or somebody to recommend the cheese to you until you find, you know, what you do like, whether it's a hard cheese or a soft cheese or a cow milk or sheep milk cheese or a goat cheese, as you said before. Um, and some people are more omnivorous than others. They want to keep experimenting and other people like to stick to their favorites and the hell be damned. Yeah, I mean, there's some cheese that tastes like feet, you have to realize, and there are other cheese that are so mellow and delicious, like burrata is absolutely divine. I mean, I it's, I mean, when it goes, there's pillows of 
cheese. It's even hard to describe. It's so delicious. Um, but, you know, every time you, you also have a store in the food market at Grand Central Station. And for those of you that are not in New York, it's the big hub station, that and Penn Station here in New York City. And you not only sell cheese, but you sell all other, not all, other, but, you know, you sell other things, other specialty items as well, including, which I can't find anywhere else, maple flakes. That's from you, right? It must be from you because it's, I, I find it. Yeah, on- there's always a bunch of items like that at, at Murray's. That's part of, I guess, it's true. And, and pasta, today. right? And sauce and uh-huh. milk. You oh, have sure. grass-fed milk and yogurt. You have all, you know, the good stuff is at, is at Murray's. So even if I'm on a train ride for 15 minutes, I always go to Murray's. I usually miss like four trains in pursuit of whatever I'm buying from you, by the way. Um, and I But I have to have it in my hand as I go into Grand Central. That's the only reason I'd ever take a train is to go to Murray's in Grand Central if I can't make it down to your flagship on Bleecker Street. So but now it's you're gonna very have... hectic, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah everybody everybody's buying at the same time at five o'clock or five thirty or quarter to six and then rushing off to catch their, their train. I, I, I it's hard. And, and there are no there are no baskets that you wheel, so you have to carry it all. And thank goodness cheese isn't that heavy. But you know the milk that you sell in the glass bottle, <laughs> sort of lugging That's true. it. We should probably have cheese backpacks for you. Or something. You should have cheese backpacks or a little something to make it a little bit easier for those of us who buy by the the ton from the uh, market in Grand Central. That's so a good what idea. what do you um, what is the most what keeps you excited about the uh, Murray's and about cheese all this time? Is it because they're constant new things? coming out yeah well cheese is a you know is a peculiar passion and as i said there's a lot of young chefs today and some are passionate about microbrews and their beers and wines and breads and all kinds of other things that we see so i can't explain why why my staff and me you know got you know hooked on this particular thing mine goes back to early days as a dairy supervisor in you know in our family grocery business when one day I was chosen to be the dairy supervisor and had to learn about dairy and so I had to resettle the dairy cases. So it wasn't just cheese then. That was when the early chunks of cheese were coming into dairy cases, you know, the medium cheddar and the aged cheddar and all the rest. So I had to learn about that. But it was also early yogurt departments and uh you know, and what made milk better or worse than another milk. And and so I was really, you know, self-educated, you know, in dairy, not just in cheese. And that's when, and that's when my love began, but that was way back in the, uh, in the seventies. As far as what keeps me passionate today, um, yeah, discovering new things is fun for anybody that's in, in a buying mode, making big displays of things, merchandising, if you will is uh, obviously a passion of mine and many of my staff. Helping people out and turning them on to things is always a lot of fun. Discussing and discussing some more and yakking uh, about cheese uh, endlessly. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. And uh, traveling to the sources and meeting the farmers and the purveyors, that's probably the most fun. There's been some fun in discovering the science of it, you know, why cheese is healthy, like we can talk about today. But there's, uh, so, you know, each thing is uh, is interesting, you know, in and of itself, of course, and a lot of it is, um, and even the business became interesting over time, so who would have guessed? So why is cheese healthy? 
Well, I, I think that human beings, you know, needed their, you know, their, needed their fats and, and, and proteins, you know, going back, you know, 10,000 years. So therefore, you know, uh, cheese was milk preserved and that was a good way to meet, you know, nutritional needs. I was told long ago that there are more sheep cheeses than cow and goat cheeses. I do not have that as a fact, but I guess in areas where uh, there wasn't, you know, there were warmer Mediterranean areas, I guess, if you will, particularly uh, no refrigeration, pasteurization, you know, rapid perishability of milk, uh, that problem was solved with uh, with cheese. But, you know, uh, fat, fat is, you know, as we go along, more and more reading about, you know, the biome and the human gut and all the rest. I, I was taught early on in France by some old timers, and again, this wasn't science then, that uh, that the Washerine cheeses, the stinky cheeses you referred to before, you know, were the most, uh, the food most like a healthy human gut. So um, in some of the old farmers I met, in my early French travels, you know, when they would get a stomachache, uh, you know, would eat, uh, you know, a wash rind cheese, a pont levesque, a livrole, you know, something, mm-hmm. something that would be sort of counterintuitive uh, from, uh, uh, you know, if you if you had a bellyache. Um, so, uh, so between the protein and the, uh, you know, and the fats, uh, which are necessary for a healthy body and brain. Uh, despite all the bad routes that's might have taken in all these years, and now, of course, they're coming back, you know, officially, scientifically. Uh, there might have been a built-in, you know, defense uh, mechanism, um, um, you know, uh, peptides that you can get from cheese have now been shown to have antibacterial um, properties. So uh, I think there is a lot going on in that age, but I'm not in that way, but I, I'm no biochemist, so... I'm picking it up almost as a layman myself as I as I, I learn more about, you know, um, the science of cheese. They also think now that um that, you know, there's um that the protein breakdown um is uh you know, is healthy, it's fr- producing um you know, and you know, ACE inhibitors, angiotensin converting enzymes in the human body, uh and so eating cheese might lower your blood pressure. Well, you know, if we knew all of that as fact, and I keep hoping that we... Uh, we it's fact. It it's fact. Take it from me. It's fact. <laughs> Everything you said is fact. Just <laughs> okay. believe me, everyone. It's fact. Right. <laughs> okay, good. And, we, and they're talking about antioxidants in cheese, natural yes. ones, you know, going to your cells. So... It's quite powerful. Who knows? I mean, it could turn out that this is the healthiest food of all. That would make me very happy, of course. That is. Of course it is. We all know that. It just has to come out, you know. Uh, And give me a little uh, Crotin de Chevignol and a bottle of Sancerre, and I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to eat really anything else except for ricotta and Parmesan cheese. Um, But that's another another show. (laughs) We'll talk about that. Your wife wife can can, uh, come on another show. We'll talk about that. Um, Now, I have heard that, uh, well, let's say there's one thing you mentioned preservatives, and I just want to cover this. Um, there is a controversy, although there was in Europe, and I assume it's still going on, about pasteurizing cheese. And some of the reason that um, they do pasteurize is because of the bacteria. Now, they, they have to pasteurize here, no? I mean, can you, you can't even bring over raw cheese, or am I, have I gotten this wrong? 
Uh, no, our rule is still uh, the same as it was um, developed, I guess, just after World War II. Raw milk cheeses under 60 days before they start to, uh, to, to age, uh, um, and naturally killing off the, the bad bacteria, if you will, uh, are, um, are, are illegal you know, to import or sell in the United States but aged raw milk cheeses are still okay. And and periodically, every couple of years, there is a flurry of activity involving the FDA where they wish to perhaps you know, ban any raw milk cheeses, uh, no matter what. You know, those of us in in my business that are, you know, believe in the value of raw milk cheese or, or even perhaps raw milk, as many people do, understand that you know safe dairy practices are essential uh safe food practices are essential in any business and for anybody that's in the food business whether it's retail or food service or anything else in any event and so the protocols are pretty well established and and there's no question about about that as to whether a raw milk cheese actually is better in terms of flavor, let's say, mm-hmm. than a pasteurized cheese, we get involved in much more controversy, you know, ourselves in our little, you know, inner inner circle quibbles. Well, if you do need a cheese taster for whatever reason, I will volunteer <laughs> for sure uh, to come and taste all the cheeses that may be in, in question. And just um, in our last few minutes, I, I want you to leave us, if you would, with some some cheese tips that we can all take home with us. But I do want to uh, tell our listeners that if you want to know all about Murray's Cheese, including their new private label cheeses and charcuterie um, that they're launching with your soon, I would guess you're you're launching this. But what what more can you do for for this world, Rob? I mean, you have done enough, and now and now this. So. <laughs> Yeah, we're doing our best. I don't know. I maybe we'll go into bagels or something. But oh no, uh, no, no. Well, yeah, that could no, be. But that's a whole other. No, there is a Murray's Bagels. Mm-mm, mm-mm. That's um, right. We have that already. But uh, so everyone, just click on to uh, Murray'sCheese.com, right, and find that uh, for yourself all the things, including your um, your caves, right? Which it's, it's we we're going to have ten more shows to talk about all the things that you're doing, so all of our listeners can read about them on your on your website. So, if you would leave us with some cheese tips now that the holidays coming, we're going to entertain more, and you know, I think for people who are novices and also you know not so novices about cheese, what are some of the important things we should know from you? Well, of course, I always encourage people to buy what they like, but if they don't know what they like, they do have to find somebody to help them. Um, you've mentioned uh, burrata. You know, a lot of at this time of year where there's a lot of holiday or parties, you know, don't buy a lot of different cheeses. You know, if you have three nice chunks out on a wood board or a slate board or a marble board, that's enough. Um, don't worry about pairing your cheese with. Uh, you know, with wine or beverage, uh, there are, you know, things that you can learn about that. We have wine and cheese classes every night at Murray's as a point of fact, but you don't have to worry about that. If they taste good together, go ahead and, and, and do that. Typically, we would serve a cheese plate that went from mild, you know, to full flavored, perhaps ending, you know, with the blue cheese. If you like blue, that's that would be typical for a tasting or a serving. Uh, and definitely, by all means, send everybody a gift of cheese because nobody will object to that if they receive that as one of their holiday presents. Lori, now you know what you're getting for Christmas, <laughs> and it's going to be sheep 
cheese. <laughs> just, <laughs> just so she knows. Get spoiler alert, right? right? Well, thank you so much for being with us, Rob. And once again, we can find everything about Murray's Cheeses on murrayscheese.com. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. And thank you, Jane. And we'll see you for dinner around six, I guess. Oh, no, I'll be there a little bit earlier. I want to taste the cheese before. I don't know. I want to taste it a little bit before you serve, of course. So I know. Again, thank you so much. And thank you you all for listening. Lori, I love you. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next week. This is Michael. Until then, be wise, be well, be better than before. Have a question for Jane and want to be on the next Better Than Before show? Drop us a line via instant feedback at bmajor.org. The Jane Wilkins Michael Show is brought to you by Express Scripts and is produced by Major Radio for Clear Channel's iHeartRadio and bmajor.org.